Welcome to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Dr. Williams is the author of the acclaimed book, Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse. Dr. Williams is on the senior leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. And Dr. Williams travels the United States speaking and training professionals, parents, and victims about the importance of dealing with abuse and personal trauma head-on and not being afraid to break the silence of your own personal pain. Feel free to call in to tonight's show at 888-627-6008 and speak with Dr. Williams and his guests live on air. And now, your host, Dr. Williams. Well, good evening and welcome to Breaking the Silence. I'm Greg Williams right here live in Houston, Texas, the most beautiful city in the world. There's no doubt about it. I'm looking out my window right here on top of the tower and it's just absolutely beautiful out there. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas and and you can only tell it in Houston uh, by going out to the stores because there's not much snow that we ever get uh, here in Houston. We got a lot of rain today, but awesome uh, it's a great day to be with you tonight, and we're going to have in the next few weeks probably some of the best guests that we've had in the three years plus that we've been doing this program, and tonight is no exception with the awesome guests that we have this evening. We're going to be talking about a topic that I don't believe we have shared from this perspective. Uh, next week's guest um, is going to be a barn burner. It is really going to be a, an awesome one. Uh, if you ever seen the um, Netflix movie, I Am Vanessa Gillian. Uh, that's special that they ran. And that, that program is such, and everybody that lives in Texas, everybody that lives in Houston knows exactly who Vanessa Gillian is. Her younger sister, Myra Gillian, will be on our program next week. And I'm really looking forward to that. I uh, want to hear from the family. I want to hear from her. want to hear about the foundation. want to hear about... Uh, everything that happened and even what's happened in the news broadcast the last week or two um, uh, with the uh, person uh, pleading guilty of being involved in her murder uh, up there in, in Fort Bend. And it's going to be an uh, unbelievable program. That's next week uh, on our program live at 8 p.m. And uh, then we're going to have a holiday show on the 25th. On July 1st, and then we have a, some awesome guests coming in, in in January. If you want to get involved tonight, and I love when people call in, 888-627-6008. We are not only live uh, audi audibly all the way around the world tonight, but we're also on Facebook. My son in Seattle, Washington is running that, Shattered by the Darkness Facebook page, and I'm looking at that. It's live right now. And we're also on the BBS radio station, Station One, and all other kind of platform. And then next week, I don't even know how this works. In next week's world, we go out into the podcast world uh, in a hundred and some plus different platforms. Uh, so tonight's live, 
but then they edit it up a little bit. And then next week we go out into that platform where people can actually say, hey, Siri, play the show. And it comes right on. Oh, my phone's reacting and ask me, what do you want? Uh, Siri is very uh, sensitive with her ears. You know, I always like to start the program each evening. And I'm not going to take very long tonight because we have such an awesome guest. Um, but just to talk to you about things that I'm dealing with in life and share with you maybe a, a, a thought or two. And I cut the list down uh, considerably tonight because of our guests. And we're only going to have one commercial tonight, too, because we have so much to talk about. But just a few things that I've been dealing with. And I think as we go into a holiday season, going into the Christmas and the hustle and the bustle and the all my lands, I have to go get a gift for somebody that I really don't even know, but I'm expected to give something. And we do all those kinds of things. And then we wonder what's really important in life. And I want to share with you a thought, a few thoughts, but this one first. What you do every day in your life is what's most important. Uh, the difference between who you are, who you want to be, is what you do. And you, we've heard this. You don't have to be. Uh, great to get started, but you have to get started to ever become great. Every accomplishment, every task, every chore, every job starts with a decision within you to get it done. And remember, people seldom do a task to the best of their ability. They do things to the best of their willingness. In the next couple of weeks, uh, maybe just the first couple of days of this coming week, follow your heart. Do what is something that you love every day, that one day your future self is going to thank you for it. I waste so many hours in a day, doing things that's not going to make a difference five years from now. As we go into the season, love the people that need to be loved. And the ones that really are expecting things that are really outside of your circle of influence, hey, it's the ones that's most important that you ought to take care of. And in life also, you can't always be agreeable. I think there's a, that's the type of opportunity when people start taking advantage of you. Uh, during this holiday season, be careful and set boundaries around your heart, boundaries around your calendar, boundaries around your time, boundaries around your finances, boundaries around your mind and your soul and your spirit. Don't ever change just to impress somebody. And I think you'll thank me for that one day, too, if you do that. I want to remind you and remind me, and I see this every morning in the mirror when I look in it. I have to remind myself that I'm not perfect. But I'm the best person in this world at being me. And so are you. Those people that have gone through foster care systems, have gone through abuse like I have in my life, 
have gone through situations that they didn't ask for and didn't cause, and it was none of their fault on their own, have trouble realizing just how special they are. You're the best possible person on the face of this earth at being you. And you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be you. And remember that because you are a treasure. And last thought, you don't want perfect people in your life. Even though you sometimes probably get confused, you really want people and your friends and your lovers and your significant others and your family, you really want them to be perfect. But let's be honest, nobody is. And the people, or maybe even the person that I have in my life that I feel is most perfect in my eyes, in reality, I know there's imperfections. But in those imperfections is beauty and perfection. And when I see them, and I see the flaws, I fall in love even deeper. God always uses imperfect people in imperfect situations to accomplish his perfect will. And you come to love somebody not by finding the perfect person, but by learning to see the imperfect person perfectly. And that's what it's all about. Your friends are the ones that stay with you, stand by you, will live and die by you and fight for you with the knowledge that they realize you have imperfections. That's what a true friend is. So those perfect people that think they deserve to be in your life and you know they're not, and you know they're not perfect, it's all right. None of us have perfection, and we don't need those perfect people in our life. Just a few things that I kind of just wanted to share with you before we get started. Tonight, I am so excited. Uh, I think this is the first time we've ever had a publisher on our uh, program in the three and a half years we've done this. It's the first time we've ever had a diplomat. Not the first time we've had an author, but an author that's on this topic is going to be awesome. Julie Connor, a fellow Estonian right here in Houston, is an award-winning author and a retired senior Foreign Service officer. And her first book and her second book, and I think you'll see the pictures of her when we bring her on the screen and the picture of the book that we're going to be talking about tonight. She's released this second title, a children's book, in 2021, and it won first place in the children's book category at the North Texas Book Festival and the Grand Prize at the children's book category uh, with AMA, Authors Marketing International. The baby with three families, two countries, and one promise. That's an award-winning title right there. And it tells of an international adoption story. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. She is the owner and publisher of the Bayou City Press right here in Houston, Texas, which focuses on travel, writing, Houston, 
history and international affairs. And I'm going to let her tell us all about her. And I want to get her in the program. You're tired of hearing me. Welcome to the program live from Houston, Texas, Julie Connor. Julie, welcome to the program. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for having me on your program. And I'd like to say good evening to your listeners, too. Well, it's great to have you. And your book looks beautiful. I, I love the book. When I purchased it, uh, I enjoyed it. And it's really a topic that I haven't uh, read up much about. We've had people that's been in foster care systems uh, on the program, but about adoption, I don't believe we've ever covered that. Um, Tell us a little bit about you, Julie, and what you wake up every morning wanting to accomplish. And I always ask this question to begin with everybody. What are you most passionate about? in your life right now as a retired uh, diplomat? Uh, Well, I often think that I need to do more of what you were talking about as you introed the program, which is to put boundaries and boundaries on my time and boundaries on what I do. Because one of my problems is I'm interested in so many things and so many things attract me. And when I retired after 33 years in the United States Foreign Service, it's hard to give up that primal, primary connection that I have with international affairs. So every day I want to read the international news stories. I want to read some analysis. I want to read about what's happening in Ukraine, what's happening around the world in the previous countries I, I lived and worked in. But I have to stop because my primary job now is not being a diplomat, but it's being a writer and a publisher. And for the last several months, I felt really bad because I'm not writing. I'm doing a lot of administrative work, end of year kind of work. And also I launched um, a new book by a different author, and I've been trying to focus on that new book, all of which with everything put together means I haven't been doing what is my primary goal in life right now, which is to write. So I have to make myself more perfect in your terminology and try to put boundaries and reserve time for my primary goal. And I'm not so great at that right at this point. When you get into writing, and we're going to talk about the reason you wrote this book that we're going to talk discuss this evening, do you find yourself... Um, in a place of peace, uh, that that is really your your niche, your wheelhouse. That's where you feel most comfortable when you really just set the time aside and start getting involved in writing. Do you really enjoy that concept of doing that? You know, I can't say that I do. For me, really? writing is work. Uh, I spent 33 years in my job, where, and I also trained as a journalist long ago and far away. And so writing is work. You have to sit down and do it. Now, having said that, I'm a fast writer. So once I sit down and write, I can write quickly. And I'm always doing a lot of writing in my head before I actually sit down and put my fingers on the keyboard and start typing. But it's work. It's not, I don't sit there and feel full of joy and happiness. It's more like, I got to get this done. I get, you know, I finally have to sit down and grind this out and get it up get it up on the page and get it ready to go out of my, my head in my office. Yeah. So for me, it's, it's work. It's a job. How did you come about this topic? Because I know you have your own personal story and I'd love to hear about that. 
and then why did you think it was important to write about uh, that subject and what the experiences that you think you had that the world needed to be aware of in this topic of adoption? All right, let me give a, a little bit of background. You know, like so many people, in a certain sense, I'm filled with hubris. I think that I can do what I want to do when I want to do it. And that was true for me as a woman, thinking that I can have a child when I want to have a child. And uh, I put it aside until I felt established in a career and that I could actually take care of a child in the way that I thought a child should be taken care of. So when I finally decided, okay, now I'm ready to have a child, which is when I was about 29, 30 years old, it didn't happen for me. And I thought, whoa, what's going on here? This is not right. Anyway, without going through all of the ups and downs, by the time I was 40, my husband and I decided that we should try adoption. And we started investigating adoption in the United States. And we found out that at our ages, we were deemed not correct, not adequate, not right to adopt a baby. And my husband at that time particularly wanted to start with a baby. He wanted a baby, not an older child. So we didn't didn't adopt, and besides for other reasons that we just didn't work in the U.S. But then we were transferred overseas, and it turned out that the country we were in, which happened to be Colombia in South America, they didn't have that artificial restriction on the age of the parents versus the age of the, the, the child being adopted. They just wanted to get their children into good homes. So we were allowed to adopt a child, and we did. And so that is my own personal background. At the time that my child was adopted, this was pre-Amazon, pre-internet, pre-all of that, uh, I wanted a book that I could read to my child to explain the adoption experience to him. And uh, I looked around. I asked my mother to go to the library and the bookstores and see what she could find back here in, in the United States. She didn't find anything for me. I couldn't find anything. So in the end, I wrote a little book for my son. And I would read it to him um, until he got old enough where I felt he really understood what adoption was about and what the background to his own story was. And then when he got old enough and I knew that he understood about adoption, I put that book aside, put it in a drawer, and it sat there for 30 years. And um, then, you know, as so often happens, you have something that's calamitous for you, but there is a silver lining. And for me, COVID was calamitous in the sense that my writing is basically travel writing or has an international aspect. But during COVID, I was unable to travel. So I'm sitting in my office thinking, okay, what project can I do? I can't travel. I can't do the second book I was planning to do. What book can I do? And I don't know, the idea just popped into my head. I wonder if there's a good book on adoption nowadays. (laughs) So now there is Amazon and there is the internet. And I went in and did a search. And lo and behold, there's still no book like the book that I was seeking. Now, let me just say books on adoption. Most of them are for adults. They're for the parents, as they probably should be, because you need a lot of help as an adopting parent to figure out what you're doing good and not so well and so forth. So just assume that the majority of books are about for the written for the parents. So there are some nice, sweet books uh, for the children. 
But mostly the ones that I've come across, they're based on animal characters. So you'll have a mama bear adopting a goose, for example. And they're sweet. They're really sweet. They're nice little books. And they focus on the adopting mother and the adopted child. That's not the book I was looking for. I was looking for a book about real people that involved not just the mother and the child, but the biological mother, the foster parents, the adopting family, the extended family, the grandparents, the friends, the dogs, the people who made it happen, the social workers, even the U.S. consul who gives the visa that the child needs if it's an international adoption to enter the United States. So I said, okay, well, that book still doesn't exist, and I'm going to sit down and write it, and I did. It's, it's not my son's story. It's a generalized story. But uh, the biggest problem I had with the book was not so much what I wanted to say. I knew what I wanted to say, I, and I just I got some help with some of the language. I had, a, uh, I had a critique group, and some of them said, oh, well, I think you could say this in a way that's different. One of my critique group members had a, a, a relative in uh, who worked for an adoption, a social, a social agency. And she said, oh, you don't want to use that word, just one word. So I adopted, I took that out and edited that out. But then the biggest thing I had trouble with was finding uh, someone to do the illustrations. So I, I found someone finally, and I'm, I'm so happy with the illustrations. Yeah, it's a beautiful but, book. Well, thank you. It's uh, it's a labor of love, and my idea is that it is it is not the Bible. It's a book for parents to use as a tool. So I think they should take my book and uh, adapt it to their own child and their own family story. Change the names. You're reading this to a child who's pre-reading in most cases. Take out the names I put in there, substitute your names, the names of your child, the names of your family pet, the names of the country from which you've adopted the child, etc. You can use my book as a platform to have your own child's story. In a little video I did, I suggested that people do what we used to do when I was young, and which is paper dolls. You can paste into the book the a real photo of the flag of the country your child comes from, for example. You can paste in a photo of your family dog on top of the face of the dog that I have. You can do whatever you want, but to make this book your family's book about adoption. Do, do you feel that there's not books for kids about adoption as, you know, you, you, searched and tried to find over several years and still couldn't find any up to a year or two ago. Uh, the reason of that is because it's a difficult subject because you know there's adoption everywhere. Why hasn't someone tackled the subject like you have uh, more readily than what they have? I mean, it just seems like that's one of those things that there's not much out there on. What's the reason? You know, I can't say in the recently I've seen there's a few books coming out and for some reason, particularly on India, about children adopted from India. But I don't know. I I think um maybe there's still a little bit of hesitation to talk with the child about being adopted. 
Another thing that my book does is address the issue of why a biological mother would give up her child. Mm-hmm. It's a, that's a hard topic to talk about with your child because the child's reaction often is, why didn't my mommy want me? And, you know, really it is difficult to talk about people's motivations and why any woman would give up a baby. And, you know, in my cases, I said I wanted a baby. I couldn't have one. Uh, that was the choice of God, that I would not have a baby. And I had to accept it. So then why this other woman is lucky enough to have a biological baby? Why is she going to give it up? But having lived all over the world and seeing the circumstances of many people, I understand why women really feel that the better choice is to give up their child. And so that's included in my book. There's, you know, I try to put it from a childlike perspective. What, why would a woman give up her child? And again, you know, in the case of uh, working with my illustrator, so I said, but, you know, we want a page where the, the biological mother is talking about what she wants for her child. And he came up with this page and it had like an ice cream cone and toys and, Yes, of course, a mother wants to be able to give her child those things. But let's make something substantive, too. So I made him put a school in there, a little school building, because many people can't afford overseas, can't afford to send their children to school. And that's a really important thing. So as you know, as a woman is thinking about what's best for her child, all these different aspects come into play. And again, to just give the adopting parents a chance to talk with their child about that situation. Because I think many children, adopted children, go through life with this feeling of a, a hole in their heart. Yeah. And, uh, and it's hard for them to figure it out. So I think if they hear early that, no, your biological mother loved you. She loved you so much that she gave you up. And she did it for you. That's an important message. Don't you feel, Julie, that sometimes we talk down to the children instead of on their level about very open, tough subjects? They are able to understand, comprehend, not everything. I'm not able to understand and comprehend everything. But if we just really talk truth to them, that they absorb Because there are questions I'm sure that they carry uh, for years. Uh, And you have probably handled this so beautifully with your child because you were open to discuss it. And I think that is what good parenting is all about. We have a situation. Let's talk about it. Let's don't brush it aside. Do you think parents, and have you had any feedback from people that have taken this book and said, wow, this is exactly uh, what I needed to be able to talk to my child about. Um, I was lucky in where the country we adopted from, Colombia, I mentioned, they make adoptive parents take a training course. Uh, it's like, you know, people say, I can't drive a car without getting some training and passing a test, but I can be a parent with no training and no background at all. And that's true. So I, I was really grateful for the training we went through in Colombia. And one of the big messages that they gave out was that you need to tell your child right away. Your child needs to know they're adopted. You cannot hide this from your child. 
If your child gets to be a teenager or even an older adult and finds out unexpectedly or, you know, by chance that they're adopted, they're going to be really, really angry, upset, and hurt because they're going to feel that you have lied to them, hid, you know, had a secret from them and so forth. And I thought, yes, that's absolutely right. I, I, I agree with that. The child has to know. Um, so for me on adoption, it was clear from the beginning that we, my child needed to know from the earliest age. And mm-hmm. again, this all happened a long time ago. But the truth is nowadays with Ancestry.com and all the DNA testing, you cannot keep these secrets. You cannot. They're going to come out. So no matter how much you want to keep the fact that your child is adopted from them, you're not going to be able to do that. So it's better just to be upfront about it and say, you're not the child of my body, you're the child of my heart. I chose you. That's good. Tell you what, we're going to take our first commercial break, our only commercial break uh, tonight. Uh, 888-627-6008. If you want to give us a call right here at the BBS radio station, they will be happy to answer the call and patch you right on through into the program live. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit. I want to uh, dig in a little bit, Julie, about the experience of adopting, not in this country, but overseas and how that was different. And maybe some of the things that we should be doing here that you learned about there uh, and vice versa. But we'll talk more with Julie Connor on the other side of this commercial break. Hang with us. We'll be right back. From HCI Publishing that brought you the international bestsellers A Child Called It and the Chicken Soup for the Soul series comes the latest book by Dr. Gregory Williams Shattered by the Darkness This book describes the horrific abuse that Dr. Williams suffered at the hands of his father for over 12 years and the damaging effect of keeping everything silent about that abuse for 30 years If you're looking for that book that you can't put down, then pick up a copy of Shattered by the Darkness by Dr. Gregory Williams at all Barnes & Noble stores, Amazon, and Books A Million. Now, back to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Welcome back. I tell you what, I, I'm getting quite a few texts from people saying, hey, you're you're on a subject that's very uh, interesting to them and they appreciate this topic and uh, want to hear more about foreign adoptions. And we're going to get into that uh, shortly. But with you being uh, in the position of 30 plus years uh, being a foreign service officer, uh, a senior foreign service officer. What surprised you about your experience trying to adopt in the United States, besides what you already mentioned? And then what did you find that was encouraging to possibly let people know that overseas adoptions is a pretty good option for them? Uh, Well, as I mentioned, 
when you're in the United States, adoption can be, it takes a long time. It's expensive. And you can't necessarily adopt the child you were hoping to adopt. In our case, we wanted a baby. And we we were told we were not going to be allowed to adopt a baby. So that is very disheartening when you when when we know, as we all know, that there's so many children in a, who need a good family, so many children in the foster care sense system that you can't somehow get break into the system. Um, in my own case, I, I'm not a youngster anymore, but I tell you, it goes through my mind all the time that perhaps I should reach out and ask to adopt an older child, like a teenager. Because I could do that, and I could offer that child a home. But frankly, my past experience makes me think, oh, they're going to say I'm too old. Um, I will shake off the mortal coils before my child is an adult. But, well, you know, what if I could give this child three or four years of safety and a good education and some knowledge that someone cares about this child? So anyway, I'm constantly thinking about this and thinking maybe I should just try anyway to do it. But it, it can be hard in the United States. Now, I want to talk a little bit about being overseas. First, I want to tell you that the overseas arrangements change all the time. So what I'm going to talk about is what I know from when I experienced these events. It could be quite different nowadays. I think people know, for example, at one period, it was open to adopt a child from China, particularly a girl. Those days, I think, are gone. They're no longer, that's no longer true. In my case, um, when, after I, you know, was trying to have a child and I was unable to have a child, but I was in my 30s and I was in the country of Guatemala. And my job involved following what was happening in the country very closely, particularly news articles and media reports. There was, it was a horrible situation for children at that point. I went with the ambassador to some places up in the highlands where the um, the native populations are. Children were dying of malnutrition and starvation. It was really, really hard to look at these places where they were trying to take care of these children, and there's so many children. As you see in the news at night sometimes with the little straw arms and legs, and you're thinking, oh, my God, this 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 has to be taken care of. Something has to be done. So you saw, I saw that aspect of it. And I saw the other extreme, which was in Guatemala City, regularly, there would be articles about children being stolen, stolen out of hospitals, stolen from parents. Well, who's stealing them and why? Well, they're being stolen because somebody wants that baby or that child, which means they're going to be adopted somewhere, probably internationally. So I was thinking, oh, boy, you don't want to get involved in adoption here. And the embassy was very hard-pressed to try to make sure that when an adult walked in with a baby and say, I want to surrender my baby, that that was really the baby of that right. person and not some someone who'd been paid to go in and say, this is my baby and I want to surrender them for adoption. So I knew that all of these scams and stuff were going on with adoption, which made me very hesitant about international adoption. But I had a friend from many years before, it happened to be a Franciscan priest, and he contacted me and said, look, I have this family that is going to be adopting a child from Guatemala, and can you help them? And I said, well, what do you mean by help? And he said, well, can he stay with you while he's in Guatemala 
just to have a, a less expensive place to stay. And I said, sure. So the father, the adopting father, came and stayed with me for a few days. And he was not only adopting a child, he was adopting a handicapped child. In this case, it, the child was deaf. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what a task this family is taking on to adopt a deaf child. Now, was that child going to be immeasurably in a better situation to be a deaf child in the United States with a loving family than in the foster care system in Guatemala? I had no doubt about that. Yeah. So the, the my friend, the priest said, you know, thank you so much for what you've done. The adopting father, when he was with me in Guatemala, looked around to my house, looked at my circumstances and said, you really ought to be adopting a child. And uh, in the nicest possible way, he guilted me into thinking about adopting. So I did, but I was hesitant. In Guatemala, I, you know, again, the situation I thought was not good for adopting a child in that country. But also, I worked really long hours and, and hard, I had a hard job. And I thought, I'm not going to be such a great mom. So anyway, fast forward another five years, and we were in Colombia at this point, and the situation was totally different. Colombia cared about its children. Colombia had a very strict control of the adoption process. As I said, they required us to go to parenting school. They were really, really careful. I was confident in Colombia that the child I adopted was a child that his biological mother had wanted to have adopted. So it wasn't like Guatemala where children were being stolen out of hospitals and off the street. This was a place where the children were really being protected by the government. And I was confident that this child needed a good home. So what I would tell people about international adoption is you have to do your research. I'm telling you now that Columbia was, I found a great place to adopt. But if you thought, okay, I'm going to go see what Columbia offers, you have to do your research. Things have changed in 30 years. They might have changed and be even better. They might have changed and be worse now. You have to do your research. And a lot of them, when you're adopting from the U.S. internationally, you will have to work through an agency. And your agency will be a, a big source of information about what countries are doing a good job on adoption and which countries aren't. In fact, just which countries are open for you to pursue the idea of an adoption. So you you have to do your research. But if you find a country that offers what you're looking for, even though it's international, and so you're going to have the expense of going overseas, it still may end up being less expensive than an adoption in the U.S. And it also might be quicker because, again, and my experience was Colombia wants to move those children out of its foster care system really quickly. They don't have some of the concerns for issues that we do, or they didn't 30 years ago. And um, so it just goes quicker and you can maybe get the kind of child you were hoping to get. In my case, a baby. Yeah. So tell me about your son now. Uh, how old is he? Uh, what's he doing? Uh, how's he doing? And things of that order, just so we can have a little uh, background info on this. He's 30 years old. He's in the U.S. Army serving here in Texas. Unbelievable. At Fort Bliss. I'm very proud of him for having decided to serve his country, as both I and his father did. And he's doing great. He's doing wonderfully. 
So it's, um, it makes me happy to know that I gave a child a chance. Yeah. Does, has he had contact with his biological mother uh, any of those years uh, as a teenager, high school, college age? Has he ever reached out and had contact? Well, let me just uh, take a little bypass, a little deviation. My, the title that you mentioned, The Baby with uh, Three Families. Well, just about every family that goes through adoption is going to have their biological family, a foster family, or maybe several foster families, yeah. and then their adopting family. So that's their three families. They have two countries because they have the country where they were born and the country where they live, which is the United States. And, the, and they can be get citizenship in both. And then the one promise goes to the question you're answering. The promise that I made my son as a baby was that he would have the chance to see, to live in, to visit his home country, which was Colombia. In my case, I overfulfilled that promise in that when he was a preteen, we went back to Colombia. So he had the chance to live in Colombia for two years. And um, during that time, the very first week we were back in Colombia, we drove out and visited the agency from which he was adopted. And we talked to them about his biological mother. One of the requirements that they had had was that I was required every year to write a letter on the anniversary of his adoption, basically, to say how he was doing. And I did that faithfully. And when we went back to Columbia and we were talking to the adoption agency, I asked if his biological mother had received the letters. And they told me that she had never actually come back to the agency to get the letters. So she had never gotten them. And I asked my son if he wanted to try to reach her, to track her down. And he said, no. And so I respected his wishes and we didn't make contact with her. But my feeling was the fact that she hadn't come back for her letters meant she also, for whatever reason, for whatever pain and sorrow she had, thought it was better to make a clean break. And that's what she had done. But my son got the opportunity to experience Colombia and his native environment, his native culture. And I do think every adopting family from internationally adopting family should make sure their child has as much of their home country's culture as they can possibly offer. I do think that's important to give your child a choice. I do too. And I think not only that, I, I think with him doing that and then coming back and then defending our country now tells me something about the character of that young man. I mean, that is really unbelievable that he's going to fight for the United States in the United States army. And I think that's just awesome. I do too. Of course, based on my own background, I, believe service to one's country in whatever form that takes, Peace Corps, VISTA, teaching in an inner city school, whatever form your service takes is so important for us as a culture. Uh, one thing that I've, I feel personally, and I'll just say this, we are very, our, our culture is very individualistic. You know, it's what I want, what I need. It's me, me, me. A lot of foreign countries, their culture is much more community oriented. It's not what's best for me. It's what's best for my community. So 
service to your country is a form of recognizing that you need to offer something, you need to give back to your community. And so I'm very proud of him for having made that choice. Yeah, that's awesome. My son in Seattle right now is in the United States Army, and my oldest son uh, did a a stint in the United States Army, too. And and I am so proud that two of the three of my boys decided to do that. That is very uh, important. And um, I applaud them for that, and I applaud your son for doing the same. Well, I applaud your sons. And I, again, for me, it's the Army is wonderful. Any military branch is wonderful. But I also applaud you if you're working in a hospital, as you are, Dr. Williams, if you're a firefighter or a policeman, if you're a school teacher, whatever it is that is not just all about yourself. And right. in our culture, making money. You know, making money is great. I, yeah. I'm happy to have money, but I didn't, I did it in a way that I also was able to serve my country. Yeah, and help other people in the process. That's what it's all about. You know, when you be able to lay your head down at night, you know you've done, made an impact on somebody. You touched somebody's life. And to me, that's so important. Tell me about this um, unexpected gift uh, and the story behind that with your son. And what what's that all about? Oh, I could talk about this for an hour. But the, the basic thing is that when you adopt a child, you don't know the biological background of your child. And it turned out that my son had quite significant learning disabilities and issues. And because of that, I began myself a journey of learning about learning disabilities and ADD and ADHD and all of these other things that really I had not experienced, didn't know anything about. Now, again, we're going back to the early 1990s. And um, really the only contact I'd had was driving in my car one day and listening to talk radio. I heard this guy just attacking a parent, attacking parents about medicating their children. And this woman called in and she said, well, you just don't understand. My child couldn't stay in school if he wasn't, he wasn't medicated. Well, this radio host just attacked her viciously. And I mean, it sticks in my memory after all these years because I was shocked that uh, someone would be so aggressive against a mother who was just trying to do the best she could for her child. So it turned out then that I was in that situation. My, my son needed help. He had attention problems and he needed problem. He needed help with a chemical imbalance in his brain. Um, but before we got to that point, I thought it was my parenting was the problem. So I asked my mother to send me a lot of books, which she did. This is again pre Amazon. I I'd done some research. I said, send me this book and this book and this book. One of them, I remember the title of it was such a wonderful title. It's Taming the Dragon and Your Child. So that's what I was looking for. She sent me a bunch of books, and when the box arrived, and I opened it up, and I worked my way through reading all these books, but there was a book there that that I hadn't asked for. And I said, I called her up and said, why did you send me this book? And she said, well, in the bookstore, the clerk said, if your daughter's reading all those books, she needs to read this book, because it's a number one bestseller, and everybody's coming in and asking for it. So um, I said, okay, and I read it. And it was all about ADD and ADHD. And as a result of me reading this book, I called my mother back and I said, you know that book you bought me that I didn't ask for? She said, yeah. I said, go back, go to the library, check it out, read it yourself, call me back and tell me, 
tell me what your reaction to that book is. She called back and she said, it's your brother. And I said, yes. The book perfectly described my brother, who was at that time already 40 years old, had been an outstanding football player in high school. But once he graduated from high school, just somehow couldn't get it all together. And he was called a lot of very negative things. And he's a very nice and sweet man. And I know it must have been a huge burden to feel that he was not doing well in his life. Well, guess what? My mother took him to be to be tested. And he's a classic case of ADD. And he started taking medication. And once he did, his life came together. He was able to hold a job. He got married and had a long-lasting marriage. He just managed to put his life together in a way he wasn't able to do before. And he would never have realized that, nor my mother, nor me, had it not been for my adopted child. And, amazing. And then, you know, my, my youngest brother said, you know, I think I might have a little bit of that, too. And so my, and then my mother said, my, I'm sorry, my mother said, you know, I think your dad might have had that. So <laughs> there is this uh, genetic yeah. predisposition to some of these things. So through my adopted child and only because of my adopted child, my biological family learned about this condition that several of us had, were born with. And it's still happening in the next generations. So but now people are aware of it and can seek proper medical assistance with that. So that was a totally unexpected but wonderful gift that my adopted child brought me. And, and I love the way you put that, that that was a gift. Uh, unexpectedly from him that it helped other people. That, that's, that's wonderful. That, that's a beautiful way to look at it. Yes, I, I think, you know, he's brought so many gifts to me and, and to others, I think, in our in our family. But that was a, a huge one that changed at least one brother's. In fact, I know other family members, too, are now understanding that some of the things that people say about you, oh, you're lazy or you're good for nothing or, you're, you know, all those horrible labels people no. say, just not true. They're just not true. That's right. Julie, uh, we're getting close to being a minute or two away from having to go. Um, if somebody wants to get this book, I recommend it to everybody uh, that's even thinking about the the adoption process. Or I, I think it's a beautiful book that every library ought to have, every school ought to have, every church ought to have uh, somewhere access to to be able to hand it to a parent and say, "Hey, read them this." But how do they? How can they, in the best way, to get a hold of this book? Uh, that the you easiest. The easiest and fastest way is just on Amazon.com, and it's available in hardback, paperback, and also an ebook. So if you don't really want a paperback or a hardback, you can get the ebook version. And the um, ebook version is beautiful. That's what I got. It's, it was a great version. Um, you also can go to my website, which is BayouCityPress.com, and order it there. Um, and I'm happy for you to do that. But really, the fastest and easiest way is. Or your local bookshop can order it for you, or Barnes and Noble. It's uh, it's available everywhere. Yeah. You just have to ask for it because it's not a book that the retailers are going to have on their shelves usually. And if people want to get in touch with you, maybe they have a personal question, just a comment about tonight's program. What's the best way to find out more about you and contact you? Again, my website 
BayouCityPress.com. It's up there on my, above my head. You can see. For those who don't know, Houston's nickname is the Bayou City, and so that's I named my publication firm, publishing firm after Houston Bayou City. Well, we didn't get through half of the things that I had dog-eared that I wanted to discuss with you tonight. But if um, if there's a parent, if there's a couple uh, that's debating this uh, experience and this journey in their life. Uh, I work in OBGYN department myself. I know there's a lot of people. We get we get letters to all the doctors from parents around the country asking, we want to adopt. If you know of anyone, please contact us. And they send a picture of their of the, the couple and their kids and everything or whatever. They're looking for other children to adopt. What would you say to someone that's listening tonight that, that would give them hope? And what should they do if they're thinking about it or at least considering that process? I guess I would say if you really want it, you can make it happen. If it's not happening here in the U.S., look overseas. There are a lot of children around the world who are desperate for a home. So try that avenue. And if I can be an information resource for anyone, I'm happy to do that. With the caveat, you know, I, again, I'm, it takes, current research on what the situation is, but don't give up. You can find a way. And, and I encourage you to do that. Yeah, that's great advice. Now, when you got into the publishing world, was COVID a wonderful uh, experience because people were reading a lot more? Did that help business? Did you notice that the, the books were coming quicker, faster, people were more interested in reading during the COVID times? I think people did read more, but for me personally, it was a disaster because yeah. <laughs> I just opened my publishing house at the end of 2019, and my business plan involved doing a lot of book festivals and in-person oh. events and going out and promoting my book in person. And, of course, all that was impossible, and it has remained largely impossible there's just now that events are starting to come back but the numbers are down people are not attending large events like they used to i just did this past weekend an event in austin texas called pop cats and you know compared to pre-covid years the numbers were really down so covid's had a negative impact on me but i'm not giving up i'm going on uh, because my books that i'm Publishing are unique books. They're not something you're going to find in the airport shop. You're going to have yeah. to want the book. Yeah, that's excellent. I'll tell you what, Julie, I can't thank you enough for being on the program tonight. I would love to have you on any time that you want to come on. If you have another book or another author that you're publishing, it's just, hey, come on and share the story. Uh, being from Houston, I would just welcome you anytime. Just let me know. But I thank you for sharing your story tonight with us. Thank you for having me on your program, and thanks to all your listeners for taking the, the time to listen about adoption, and particularly international adoption. That's fantastic. As I do every week, I always want to close the program the same way that I always do. No matter what you're experiencing right now, no matter what you've gone through in your past, no matter what you're going to wake up and face tomorrow that may just blindside you, I want to let you know. And I promise there's always hope. There's always hope. 
as long as you're breathing. Reach down and grab it, stand firm, believe in it, and stand tall. And when you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning, remind yourself you are priceless. You are valuable and you're a masterpiece. Thank you for joining us this week. Next week, Myra Gillian will be on the program, and I would love to have everybody here to listen in. But get a hold of Julie if you need more information. Go out and buy that book right now. Just download it off Amazon. It'll be an excellent read for you. I promise you that. Join us right here next week for another live edition of Breaking the Silence from Houston, Texas. God bless. Have an awesome, awesome week. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. To contact Dr. Williams, dial 832-396-6525 or email him at shatteredbythedarkness at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us each Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Pacific on BBS Radio Station 1 for the next episode of Breaking the Silence.